Turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. We've been here before. I've preached a message here from Psalm 8 before. But I want to return here with a different purpose. Kind of like uh, when Chronicles recounts the history of Israel, it's not just a uh, verbatim recounting of it, but rather he does it and resays it, resays the history, restates the history uh, for certain purposes. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm going to come back and touch on Psalm 8 uh, from, a, from a different standpoint this morning. <clears throat> Follow along with me here in your Bible as we read Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands You have put all things under His feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Now would You bless the reading of this Word, the preaching of this Word, and our response We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, the psalm has kind of two bookends. Both of them being this proclamation, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. The psalm begins there and it finalizes and ends with that same refrain. Much like a song. And by the way, when you're dealing with the psalms and individual psalms, uh, you're noticing that these are songs. He has a logic to the movement in these songs. Now, they're not like the songs that we sing today, which we do typically verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a bridge and then back to the chorus and you end. But he does have a typical way of doing psalms here. And Psalm 8 is no different. And yet, this is a fascinating read. Up to this point in the book of Psalms, you don't have a praise psalm. So far, you start out with a wisdom psalm. There's only two ways. And then you have, actually, we, we sang it today, this song, uh, I think it was Sing to the Lord, or maybe it was, no, it was the first one, where we were talking about uh, the Lord is enthroned, and He's in charge. That's exactly what is stated in, in, in verse uh, chapter 2 of the book of Psalms, Psalm 2. Um, is it, that's exactly what, the heaven, or sorry, the earth comes against Him raging. He's just on His throne. He laughs at Him. Kind of, ha, 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 you know. It's a dominant laugh in the sense that, that he's, he's mocking them. They are bringing all their forces against him, apparently, in Psalm 2. He doesn't care. He's in heaven. He's in charge. He's the king. All the way to 7, and you have laments. These are where Psalms where they're crying out to God. And then you get to chapter 8, and you have a praise Psalm, where he's giving praise to God. He wants you to think about how big God is, how good God is. And so rereading this psalm, I guess two weeks ago, I noticed something, and that is the regal language here. 
Now, regal again meaning kingly language that's found in Psalm 8. I was surprised that I'd always missed it. Um, And yet, this is what I want to focus on is this majestic king that is found not only in Psalm 8, but I'm saying all throughout the Bible, but in particular in the Psalms. The the, the psalmist is actually looking for his king. And remember, David is the kind of, you know, paragon of what it is to be a king in Israel. And also from the line of David will come one king whose throne will last forever. Of course, we know that now as Jesus. But for them, it was an expectancy thing. And David writes with that kind of mentality. David writes most of the Psalms. Notice here, I want to begin with this thought. And that is, you ever noticed how there are different levels of knowing someone? You know, some of us know each other by acquaintance. You know, we ride bikes together, or we play video games, and that's something that we... Or we like the saints together, or we like to watch a show together. Uh, we have some kind of common... Gra- but, but we really, as far as knowing one another, don't really... You know, I don't know you like some of my best friends. And other people, we have different levels. Some, some we go deeper than that. Some, it's not just about shared things that we like, but instead, we share some kind of you know, lineage, like my brother, for instance. It's not just that he and I like certain things together, but he's my blood. He's my family. That's, that's, that's a different level. And of course, marriage, as we know, is the deepest level, even more than a brother, even more than a father or a mother. Marriage, you unite as one. And so, you know, it's, it's fascinating when you do kind of move to a different level with someone. You ever had that ha- you know, recently happen to you? Maybe in a friendship or maybe in a family situation where you move to a different... Something's going on. Oh, no. I was just thinking about Justin. Oh. <laughs> Wait, we bonded. Oh, right. <laughs> no, I had people smiling over here, people smiling over here, so I figured I'd go ahead and ask to make sure there's nothing going on over here. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's get back on target here. Um, so, you ever had a relationship go deeper? Well, it's interesting. That's what I believe is happening here in Psalm 8 for me. I've always seen this psalm as a psalm of praise. Oh yeah, God is great. He's he's created everything. But no, He's not just Creator. You know, I mean, if you think about God and your relationship with God, one of the first levels of relationship you have uh, with God is Creator and, and creation. I mean, obviously, if God is God, then He created everything. That's kind of what it means to be God, you know. Uh, to be the one God means you created everything. So, if you have just the most basic level relationship with God, it's going to be one of creator to creation. But that's not where Psalm 8 ends. Psalm 8 says, you know what? He's not only your creator, but He's also your king, your ruler. And that's where I want to go today. And I want to focus really just on kind of four terms and bring them out as four points. The first one is this. He's our Lord. Isn't that what it says twice here? Now, it's kind of, it's kind of doing us a disservice to have this Lord thing twice because quite frankly, the first Lord is Yahweh, which is God's personal name, I Am. They just would always say Lord, Adonai, instead of Yahweh because they were, they were too, it was too sacred of a term to even pronounce. They never even said it. Uh, it was so sacred. 
Um, today we we curse God's name. I mean, that, that's one of the the you know people say Jesus Christ or Jesus, you know, or God. But this is, nobody ever says Allah, you know, or Gautama, uh, you know, or Mahavira. These are all different religious leaders. No one no one curses their name, but we do curse the name of God. It's fascinating that we would choose His name to curse among others, and yet that's one of the Ten Commandments. You don't misuse the Lord's name. Uh, And also here, His name apparently is an important thing. Notice, Yahweh means I am. Which is kind of a weird name to have, isn't it? I mean, of all the names God could have told us, you know, my name's Frank, or my name's Bill, you know, He tells us, I am. Which I think the most important thing that we can take from that without getting into a 40-minute discussion is simply this. Nothing defines God except for God. I am. You know, if, if I meet somebody new, I say, Hey, how are you doing? What do you like to do? Where are you from? Who are your parents? Who do you hang out with? What do you, where do you want to go eat? All these things begin to define us. And if you can see all the things that define it, such as my parents, if you know who my parents are, where I like to eat, who I'm married to, you know, what I like to do, I mean, you've got a good handle on who I am. But with God, I am. I am not into seafood. I am not into entertainment. I am. It's really what we call an ontological statement. It's something about being. He's essential. He is Himself, in other words. He's the only one who is Himself. He wasn't produced by another. He doesn't have a a father or mother. He is God. He has no one that created Him. He has no end. He is God. I am. Alright, so that's the first one. Is oh, I am. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord. Now, Lord is that term uh, that really means ruler. I mean, this is what we speak of when we talk about somebody lording over us. They're ruling over us. They have authority, some type of authority over us. So he begins the psalm with a proclamation of God's personal name, which, by the way, was given to Moses at the burning bush. And then, and then proclaims, Yahweh is ruler in this world. Now that's a simple point. It may be a moot point for you. You may be like, oh, that's, that's a big deal. I already know that He's you know, creator and that He's king. But the question, I guess, becomes one of, do you live as if He is both creator and king? Because in our world, the world is going in the opposite direction. We, we've created theories where God doesn't even have to be a part of creation. Creation could just have come about on its own. Some naturalistic process where really a lot of scientists today, the majority, would say something like this, and that is, matter is eternal. It's been here before we were. It made us. And ultimately, the stars made us. Supernovas made us. Watched a show recently on the Science Channel that literally the guy said the supernovas, which are stars exploding, they're our mother and father. They gave us birth. And I'm thinking, wow, the Sumerians said that 5,000 years ago. And now our modern scientists are just now finding out something that the myths have spoken about for thousands of years. And that is, yeah, of course, the celestial heavens are God's. And they create. And that's where we come from. That's what the whole Old Testament's going against, by the way. 
Notice that in the Bible you have the exact opposite of mythology, and that is in mythology, the sun, moon, stars, earth, mother earth, the storms, all those are gods. Here, the heavens and the earth are created by God and they give praise to God. They witness to His creation, to the fact that they are created. They're not the focus. Instead, they are pointing to Him. So whereas the ancient mind, and maybe even the modern mind, would look at the stars and say, wow, that's where we came from. From them. Christians, the Bible says, no, the stars are pointing, pointing beyond themselves to the Creator King, to the Creator who is the ruler. It's fascinating, the turn of events. When you start taking out the foundation of science, the foundation of history, the foundation of logic and reason, which is monotheism, it all begins to collapse back into paganism, polytheism. It will happen every time because it's the only way we think about the world without monotheism. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. And this is what this, the psalmist is saying something here so radical that if we miss it, even in our modern time, then we've missed something essential about God. And that is, He is the ruler. He is the creator of everything. Now, as I said, not of trampolines. My, my, my kids the other day, I'm out there and I'm saying, you know, I said, guys, look out here. These beautiful colors. Look, look at that sunset. It looks, like a, it looks like a painting, doesn't it? Like, yeah, 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 rock on. And I'm like, God did all of that. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And Baylor says, and he also created this trampoline, didn't he? Well, <laughs> he created the raw materials for that. But we co-created it. How about that? And of course, as I began to get more philosophical, they got bored. So, I stopped. The Bible is against naturalism. God is not nature. He's not in here with us. He's not encumbered with this life like we are. Which is really good news. Because you know how some of your best friends, when you're in a bad situation, you need them to be objective. You don't need to, for them to be caught up in the mess as well. God isn't caught up in our mess. He is not restricted with His feelings going one way or the other or with political bias or with, with some kind of race, racism or nationalism. None of that stuff affects Him. He is not this world. He is not anything in nature. Which is why, isn't that why He says, look guys, you can't make an idol of Me. I am. I am. You can't look at a bull or something made of gold or diamonds. Nothing in this world represents God because He is and He created everything. And yet nothing is good enough to represent Him. One of the Ten Commandments. As some have believed, God is not uh, withdrawn either. He doesn't just crank the whole thing up the world up like a watchmaker and crank it up and just let it run its course. Instead, He's actively involved is what the Bible shows to us. He's involved in our history. He's involved in our personal lives. God is involved. He's not withdrawn. You know, one of the earliest confessions of the church is Jesus is Lord. 
That's what the psalmist is saying here. Yahweh is Lord. This is what we confess as the church. Isn't that what we just confessed in our, in our creed? Notice two things. I believe in God the Father, I'm maker of what? Heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Direct quote from Psalm 8. Bear in mind that in the ancient world, the Lord or the King was divine. Now we kind of chuckle at that because in America, we, we know the president or the leadership is not divine. All right? we, we've always had that separation. That's never been a problem. But just as even as far back as World War II, we had to make the Japanese emperor in our treaty with them at the end of World War II, we had to make him tell His people that He was not divine. This whole thing of being king or being emperor, being ruler and divine goes hand in hand in all of the ancient thinking. So in Moses' day, in David's day, if you were king, you were God. But guess what? Not in Israel. (laughs) Isn't that what God is showing them in Israel? David gets his Nathan points his finger right in David's face. You are that man. You're not exempt from the law. You're not above the law, David. And David repents. You see, in Israel, the king was not divine. That's a huge thing. In other words, we don't find our salvation in our president, in a king, in our leadership. That leadership points, works for God. Just like a pastor. I am not God. I am not salvation for you. And you already know that. I'm not salvation. I point to the Savior. That's that's my job. Is to speak rightly about my boss. Your boss. We all have the same boss. That's the interesting thing. You see, He's ruler of all nature. That's what the psalmist is saying. It's what the New Testament is saying. By the confession, Jesus is Lord. Now the second thing is this. Majestic is your name. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Why is His name majestic in the earth, first of all? Because that kind of strikes you as weird. Why is it not majestic in the heavens? Why in the earth? Because guess what? God is not dealing in some realm outside of here, like the myths are. I mean... Is there a Mount Olympus? Yes. But when you go up there, do you find 12 Olympians? No, you don't. Do you find Zeus up there ruling those 12 Olympians? No, you don't. You go up there, you can search it all day long. You can go right right now. It's not happening. And yet, in their world, it is happening. Why? Because they have two alternate, alternate worlds. Here? No. God is not in some Middle Earth fantasy land working, but instead He does real things in our time and space. He actually goes to a place called Israel. You can still go see it today. You can see where they left from Egypt to Israel. These are not places like Mordor and the, and the Shire. These are places you can go visit. That, and He actually came in and did things in those places. And He didn't do them continually. There was one Moses. Not some kind of everyman idea like Zeus is. 
But instead, one Moses, one Abraham, one Exodus, one entry into the land. God does things historically in real time and real space. (laughs) Again, that's a break in there. That's revolutionary for us as ho-hum because we've been so influenced by the Bible. But for them, it's absolutely radical. God is working in history. And that, how do we know God's name? How do we know that He is, he is majestic? Because He's actually done things in time and space that we can see and record and write down. That's why. How do you know that He can be trusted? How do you know that you can trust God in your trial right now is because of what He's done in the past. It's often said that the Jews walked into the future by looking at the past. Why? Because the past was where God proved that He was a deliverer. You can say to your blue in the face, I'm a person that gives. I love to give to the poor. Well, we go check your bank statement. We go check where you spend your time each year. And you never give any time to the poor. You never give any of your money to the poor. Are you a giving person? No, it's just a fantasy. You have to do something in time and space. In history. In your history, if you have not given to the poor, you are not a giving person. I don't care how well you think of yourself. God has proven Himself in the history of Israel, and notice this, and in Jesus Christ. And in the history of the church. This is where God has proven that He is a deliverer, that He is a Savior, that He is, as the psalmist says here, majestic. Now this term majestic actually means mighty ship, mighty lord, noble, has a lot of... Excellent. So how excellent is your name in all the earth? How, How mighty is your name in all the earth? And as we know, names are important in the Bible. That's why some people's names are actually changed. We're given a new name. I mean, think, think, of, think if you had a rap sheet that, that had all these the bad things that you had done, and you go before the judge, you're acquitted of all of those, and then you're given a new name so that people don't associate all your bad doings with that name. That's what God can do in your life. God can actually forgive you and give you a new name. A name that He knows. Now, as you know, people that you like, you typically give nicknames to, right? Just like me. I mean, I have nicknames for most of the people that are close with me. Uh, especially my children. They even have multiple nicknames. You know what? God is so close with us that He's got a nickname for you. And it's a good one. It's not one that degrades you. It's not one like, you know, you're just a sorry, no good, whatever. No. He knows who you are supposed to be. And He calls you by name. Look, His name, the psalmist says, is majestic in all of the earth because of what He's done. His name is excellent. It's great. It's mighty. But not only that, notice this. The psalmist then says, You have set your glory above the heaven. Glory deals with God's essential nature. Who is He then? Who is God? He's holy. He's holy love. So, His holy love is set above the heavens. Notice now we're, we're not in earth anymore, but the heavens. So God's nature is above heaven or earth. In other words, He's not the world again. You can't know Him by going out there and sitting under a tree or smoking some kind of herb or drinking Soma. 
like the Hindus do, which is kind of an alcoholic beverage that makes you hallucinate. Um, no, that's not how you know God is by going into another dimension by, uh, you know, what do they call it? Psycho something drugs. What's it called? Hallucinate, hallucinate drugs. There you go. Um, no, that's not how you know God. But again, how do you know God? Through His revelation. If God doesn't reveal God, we can't know Him. Point blank. It's just as simple as that. It's not by going under a Bodhi tree like the Buddha did and sitting there and meditating on yourself. You're not going to find God. You find God right here in His revelation and in Jesus Christ. That's the only way we know who God is and how excellent He is, how glorious He is. Now, the last thing here is the most fascinating point. And that is, God is all these great things. He's Creator, He's Ruler, He's King. But then notice what He says here. We are a little lower than the heavenly beings. This is verse 5 and crowned with glory and honor. You've given us dominion over the works of your hands. Do you see what's happening? God, even though He's Creator, He makes us co-creators. How do you get babies? You co-create. God's not going to do it without you. Not only this, God also is allowing us to be co-regents, co-kings, so to speak. So God is king, right? He's the true king. Everybody come back. All right. Everybody come back. It's fine. He's the true king, right? And yet, what does He just tell us? I'm going to allow you to have dominion over what I've made. So even though I'm ruler, I don't mind sharing with you. He has crowned us. No, again, notice the regal language here. The kingly language. Crowning. What is, what is the picture here of humans? He has put us, he's taken His crown and put it on us. Here's the best way to say it. There is no image in the world in nature that can represent God, but He has put His image on us humans. Not on dogs, not on trees, not on the sky, not on the earth, but on us. Just think about that for a second. So He says, don't make any images. Don't make any idols. And then He turns around and says, you are created in My image. So if God's image is to be seen anywhere in the world, it's going to be seen in us. We are co-created. It's what you do at work, when you teach, when you, when you engineer, when you do whatever you do. You're creating something. from Whether it's food services, whatever it may be, you're, cre- you're co-creating. Just like the trampoline. Go back to Frank. He said, did God create the No. God gave us a brain and fingers so that we can create things out of His creation and to make our lives better. We're called to work, to co-create. We're meant to be... It, it reminds me of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, quite frankly. You know, here's these four kids, and yet they're meant to have a crown on their head. You may not think of yourself as very regal, very, you know, uh, kingly, so to speak. Let me tell you, you're a child of the King. You're His. If you are in Christ... You are going to be crowned one day. I mean, I love the part at the end of the the line, the witch in the wardrobe, where they're all given, guess what? A new name. Remember? Lucy the, what what was it? Yeah, Lucy the Valiant, I think. Uh, You know, uh, Peter the Great or whatever it was. They're all given a new name and guess what? They're crowned. 
They're it's, a, it's a climactic part of the show. And guess what? That's what heaven's going to be about. Does it not speak of us having crowns? We're going to cast them at Jesus' feet? One day, guys, you may not get noticed here for your obedience and submission and work for the king, but one day the true king's going to come back. Because guess what? The first time he came, he didn't get any recognition either. It wasn't in the front page. God is here. We just killed God. No, that wasn't in the newspaper. It wasn't flashing across the bottom of your television screen. But the second time he comes back, every single person that has ever lived will see him. And everybody will bow down before him. Every knee, every tongue. That's why we must be sure now, today, that we are already bowing before him. That we are already submitted to his way in the world. Because there is no other king that is the true king but him. And just as they say in uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, I hear that Aslan's on the move. Well, I hear that God is on the move. He's on the move in your life, He's on the move in my life. We need to start taking notice of this in our kids' lives. And we need to remind our children, remind ourselves, remind our church. That no matter what happens in our nation or in our home situation or in our personal life, that God is still King. Nothing about your situation or whatever you go through changes that fact. And one day, if you trust in Him, you too will reign with Him. What amazing good news this morning. Do you know His rule in your life? Are you allowing Him to be Lord as we've talked about this morning? Do you know Him as Lord? Or do you just know Him as kind of an add-on? He can't be an add-on. He has to be Lord in your life. Submit to Him is the... Again, I, I couldn't have said it better than the songs that we sang today. I surrender all. That's the only right response to God's kingship. To the fact that He is that majestic, excellent, noble, worthy. So this morning, as we think about that heavenly meal one day that we will share with our King, this meal represents that. It is a foretaste, kind of an appetizer, so to speak, of what is to come. That's what this meal is for us. It's also a meal that unifies God's church. This meal is for everybody. It doesn't matter your nationality, your political views. It doesn't matter uh, your, your race. It doesn't matter your past. What matters is if you're allowing Jesus to be king right now in your life. Is He king? Are you letting other people know that He's king? He's the true and rightful king? Even, even when it gets dark, He's still on His throne in heaven. That's what we just said in the creed. We believe that He has been given all authority. Do you know Him as your Creator King? And do you know your position in His world? Because you're not... You're not your past. You're not what's happened in your past. What matters is right now, are you with Him or are you against Him? Because there's only two ways. 
Choose God. Submit to the King. He'll give you a new name and He'll crown you with glory and honor. The same kind of honor He's been given. Amen.